Welcome to WTVU News Today. I'm Mia McCarthy. Boston has been cool and windy lately. Temperatures Thursday are expected to reach a high of 78 degrees, with the rest of the week looking cloudy with some showers. Now we'll move into the Boston University COVID-19 dashboard update. On September 15th, three members of the Boston University community tested positive for COVID-19. Three of them were students and zero were employees. On average, BU's lab took 23.2 hours to process each test. Overall, these numbers have remained steady compared with last week with little variation within the past week. In total, 98 members of the BU community have tested positive this fall. 15 are currently in isolation and 63 have recovered from the disease. Cerelia Liu is here now to report on a new workshop at Boston University. During this pandemic, people sometimes encounter others without a mask on the street. How should they start a conversation without getting into conflicts with others? Stacy Harris, Associate Director of Disability and Access Services, is a certified mediator and conflict resolution expert. Harris is offering free workshops for students called Community, COVID, and Conflict, Navigating the Hard Stuff in This New World. The workshops are four hours long and will focus on how to start hard conversations related to coronavirus or daily conflicts with others. The workshop is offered on two days, September 20th and October 11th at 10 a.m. Lots of students lack the skills to resolve their own conflicts with others. It is important for students to have the opportunity to learn and practice these skills especially during the pandemic when miscommunications can happen easily through virtual meetings. Students who are interested in the free workshops can sign up on the Dean of Student website at we.edu. In Taipei, Taiwan, I'm Surya Liu for WTBU News. Joining us now is Megan Forsyth with a story about the recent death of a BU faculty member. Carrie O'Connor, a French lecturer at Boston University died in an elevator accident this Tuesday. O'Connor was bringing a package into the elevator of the 1920s Austin building from the first floor hallway when the elevator suddenly jolted downward. She died from traumatic asphyxiation. The elevator had passed a safety inspection in the last year. According to tenants, the elevator was old-fashioned, requiring you to pull the door across, step inside, and then press a button to move but that there was also a sensor inside the elevator that can cause the lift to move as well. Tenants speculate that the package triggered the sensor before O'Connor was fully in the elevator. O'Connor had just started her second year as a full-time lecturer at BU and had recently moved into the building in the past few weeks. The incident remains under investigation. I'm Megan Forsyth reporting from Orange County, California. And now we'll head over to Hannah Barron for a story about making all COVID-19 vaccines free in the United States. The federal government released an outline of a complex plan on Wednesday to make vaccines for COVID-19 free and available to all Americans. In the plan to Congress, federal health agencies and the Department of Defense provided plans for a vaccination campaign to begin slowly in January, with a possible start date of later this year. According to the report, most vaccines will require two doses from the same drug maker, taking 21 to 28 days apart. The vaccine will be paid for by taxpayer funding, allocated by the Trump administration and approved by Congress. The Pentagon will be involved in distribution, but the responsibility of receiving, storing, and distributing vaccines falls on states and local communities. 
While the plan is only a framework at this stage, it is facing public criticism. An AP News poll in May showed that only about 50% of Americans plan to get vaccinated, while others are worried about the efficacy and safety of the vaccine. Experts estimate about 70% of Americans should be vaccinated in order to begin to decrease the spread of COVID-19. From Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Hannah Barron for WTBU News. Next, a story regarding Delaware's recent election from Stella Lawrence. In the last state primary of 2020, Delaware Democrats elected Sarah McBride to run for a state Senate seat in a Democratic stronghold, setting her up for an expected easy win in November. If she wins, McBride will be the first openly transgender state senator and the nation's highest openly transgender elected official. Although she has a history of successful transgender rights policies, McBride's campaign focused less on identity and more on her platform, which includes Democratic foundations such as increasing the Delaware minimum wage and common-sense gun laws. She supports expanding access to health care and lowering prescription drug prices, but avoids using the phrase universal health care. One universal right she supports is universal paid family and medical leave, and she also supports expanding access to affordable early childhood education. McBride's platform also includes requiring insurance, including Medicaid, to cover long-term holistic care for individuals struggling with addiction to combat the state's opioid crisis. McBride will take on Republican challenger Steve Washington for the state Senate seat in Delaware District 1 in November. The seat is up for grabs as Democrat Harris B. McDowell III retires after representing the district for 44 years. In Burlingame, California, I'm Stella Lawrence for WTBU News. Finally, an update from Giselle Mehta about a human rights abuse accusation against Venezuela. A report by the UN Human Rights Council published on Wednesday accused the Venezuelan government of human rights violations that amount to crimes against humanity. Investigators from the United Nations outlined 48 in-depth case studies elaborating on politically motivated detentions, protest-related violence, and extrajudicial killings in the country. Investigators corroborated almost 3,000 patterns of violations and crimes. The report singles out two national security forces as the primary force behind extrajudicial killings. The Scientific, Criminal and Criminological Investigator Corps and the Special Action Forces of the National Bolivarian Police. On their official Instagram account, the National Bolivarian Police has posted repeated denials of news stories alleging abuse by the officers. The Venezuelan government is yet to respond to the allegations. The UN Human Rights Council focuses on the investigation of violations to human rights and the UN Security Council is the organ that implements the sanctions. The UN investigators stated that they have a list of 45 names of people significantly involved which could play a role in the prosecution for violation of human rights in an international tribunal. In Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, I'm Giselle Mehta for WTBU News. That's it for this edition of WTBU News Today. Be sure to tune into our full program every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern over on WTBU Radio. On behalf of Gabriela Lopez, Megan Gregoire, Alex Corey, Varsha Subramanian, and Lily Kepner, I'm Mia McCarthy reporting from Boston, Massachusetts for WTBU News.